13, 14, no, 12, 13 today, 14 next week, and these all these three chapters go together. It's another interlude that we are looking at. Um, I already had a lot of people ask me what is going on with this up here. Uh, <clears throat> yeah. So I'm curious what people would think this is. It's definitely a candle holder of some sort. Candle holder. So uh, when Linnea, this, our Swedish exchange student, uh, before she left, her parents came out to stay with us, which was a bit unusual. They came to here to pick her up, and they spent midsummer in, in New York City as a family. Um, and they stayed with us a few days, and they brought us this gift. And it is loaded down with a whole bunch of symbols, Christian symbols. And uh, perhaps because it's Swedish, we wouldn't recognize all these but it's it's really interesting first of all you have three candles representing the trinity um, creator and savior and uh, counselor Um, you have these uh, edges are like represent a crown of thorns yeah yeah these dots here five on this side five on that side any ideas ten commandments yeah we have 12 leaves representing the 12, 12 tribes, apostles, 12, or 12 apostles, 12 tribes of Israel. 12 and then this guy on top. <laughs> I, I guess that means the Donald Duck. Now that's the roaster. Yeah. The roaster. Yeah. Yeah. It's a rooster. rooster. A rooster. Yeah. Yeah. It's a ro- it was a roaster after. <laughs> <laughs> What's the rooster? That's kind of a negative symbol. When, uh, it's watchfulness. Watchfulness. Oh, yeah. Because uh, when yeah. the sun comes up. Yeah, watchfulness. And then it's shaped as a heart, which represents love. We're not. We're used to this, right? Yeah. Um, but they brought that. And, and then the heart in the middle. The heart in the middle. Right, love. And so um, it was really cool. And, and it's, it's tall, so I'm not sure where we're going to put it. But uh, <laughs> it looks pretty cool. And I'm looking forward to lighting it up sometime, putting some candles in there. Um, Revelation, the book of Revelation is using graphic but very understandable images to portray um, a first century reality. The first century church, probably around 90, is struggling. Uh, They are being persecuted, and Revelation is a letter written to these churches. And if you watch those Bible Project videos, they call it a circular letter, which means Someone got a letter, and then they would read it to their congregation, and then they would take it to another church, and they would read it there. So it's on a circuit, right? And uh, it would be read to these uh, seven churches. And so there's lots of images uh, that may seem confusing to us Americans, but not to Swedish people. Um, And in that century, uh, these images would not be um, very confusing to the people that are receiving uh, these, this letter, okay? And, we, and I mention this now, and I bring it out this week. I've been holding this, holding this for a few weeks now uh, because there's lots of images uh, this morning, and they just seem very confusing. I already got a question from Wendy early on about uh, the number of the beast, and, you know, she said, don't be confusing about that. Tell us, what, you know, what's going on. So I'll, uh, I'll do my best. I'll do my best. Be straight up about it. So um, the first century church is struggling, and they're getting this message about uh, maintaining their faith, uh, being true to their faith, and not giving in to the pressures that the Roman Empire is putting upon them. Um, 
the reality that they're facing is really severe persecution. Um, and there's a call to continue in the faith, uh, to continue to pray, and to face death. And that's a hard, it's been a hard book to teach because that's something, you know, we, we have uh, the nation's birthday coming up tomorrow celebrating independence and uh, the freedom to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness is something that's kind of rooted and grounded in our culture, something that we believe in. And so when we hear this stuff, it can be, um, it can be kind of disturbing. The images are violent. The images are uh, grotesque. And it's, it's been hard it's been hard to teach. Uh, no compromise, but stay faithful. And there's no doubting that they are going to suffer. There's no promise that they will get around suffering, uh, but they have to go through it even to the point of death. And so... Um, <clears throat> Freedom ain't free, man, always. Um, <clears throat> and it talks about the church as conquering in these chapters, in this book. And it's important to remember that we got to be careful with these conquering battle images because in America, our founding story is one of fighting for independence. And so we fight a lot. We fight a lot. We fight on Facebook. We fight in podcasts. We fight uh, a lot. That's sort of rooted in a lot of the American culture. And fighting here and conquering here looks very different than winning an argument. It's about loving people to death, right? Love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. So now all these teachings that Jesus gave his disciples, and a disciple is someone who's going to learn from what Jesus teaches, and we're going to follow what he teaches, they're now having to live this out. Pray for those who persecute you. Uh, love your enemies. Um, <clears throat> And so we will conquer, the church conquers, and part of the message is the church is going to conquer and survive this, not survive as in their physical life necessarily, uh, but they will be victorious by loving uh, one another. We conquer as Jesus does, and that's by loving our enemies. And so we've been through seals, these judgments, the, the, the seven seals, uh, the seven trumpets, and there were seven thunders, which... The voice said, don't write those down. You know, that's for you, not for us. So we, we don't know what that is. The seven thunder, the voices. And we're going to get to the seven bowls soon. And every time we get to the, the end, we, think it, we feel like it's going to wrap up. Because uh, what we tend to do is read this linearly and, you know, one event after another. But really what's happening is we're going back and we're getting a different angle and a different angle every single time. And so it reads like it ends. In fact, this is not uh, in the computer, uh, Drew, but I'll read it. We get to the end of chapter 11, which we covered uh, last week, and here's how it reads. Then the seventh angel blew his trumpet, and there were loud voices shouting in heaven. The world has now become the kingdom of our Lord and, his, and of his Christ, and he will reign forever and ever. The 24 elders sitting on their thrones before God fell with their faces to the ground and worshipped him. They said, we give thanks to you, Lord God Almighty, the one who is and, is and who always was. For now you have assumed your great power and have begun to reign. The nations were filled with wrath, but now the time of your wrath has come. It is time to judge the dead, the reward, your servants, the prophets, as well as your holy people. And all who fear your name, from the least to the greatest, it's time to destroy all those who cause destruction on the earth. 
<clears throat> then in heaven, the temple of God was opened. The ark was of the covenant could be seen inside the temple. Lightning flashed, thunder crashed, and roared. And there was an earthquake and a terrible hailstorm. It feels like it's coming to an end. It's here. It's now. And then there's a pause. And we get the next three chapters. And so you have almost seven endings to this book. And it keeps, and I think the video we saw last week called it like nesting dolls, right? You have a nesting doll, you're looking at it, and you think, okay, I've seen the whole thing. Looks good. We can come to an end. Then you open it up. Oh, there it is again. And so the book of Revelation is very circular, and it's always going back over the images. And what we're going to see now is sort of an expose of the evil powers. And this is really important to understand for the church, for the early church to understand what's really going on is very important because if we understand kind of the layout of what's going on around us, it helps us make decisions moving forward. It gives us courage. It gives us hope. And so it's important for John and the vision here to, and, and, and uh, the, the angel revealing this vision to explain what's really going on and to explain these powers. And so we're going to get a little bit of that. So I was reminded... I don't know if anyone remembers this. This is actually longer ago than I remember. I looked it up. There was a time, it was probably Thanksgiving, and there was uh, the Lions were playing the Bears. And uh, it was in 1998. Oh, yeah, I remember. And there's uh, overtime. Yeah, I, don't, I think it was Thanksgiving, because I don't know why I'd watch either of those teams. But, um, I'm joking. So there's <laughs> overtime. The, the, the game comes to an end, and it's tied. And so there's, you flip the coin to see who gets the ball. I don't know if anyone remembers this. And they flip the coin, right? And they say, they pull it over and they say, here's, here's what head, heads looks like. Here's what tails look like. It's good to know so that when it lands, you, you can move forward on, yeah, I won that toss, right? So they flip it in the air and then they say, call it. Well, he called it, said tails. You could hear it on TV. It lands, uh, I don't, the, the ref misheard. What he said. And he said, okay, you get the ball. The other team gets the ball. Uh, the Lions win the toss. It was Jerome Bettis who called it in the air. He said tails. It landed tails. But what the ref heard was something different. It was loud in there. And the Bears got, the, the, the Lions got the ball. And they scored a touchdown and won. Even though they won the coin toss. So now what happens is what do they do? They say, here's tails. Here's what it looks like. Here's heads. What's your call? Before they flip it. So they don't do that anymore. They don't flip it in the air so you can mishear it. No one remembers this? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah, four years old. Okay. I'm not going to ask that again, I don't think. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, the point is, uh, it's all, the whole, overtime starts with a misunderstanding of reality at this point, because they called the right call, but they didn't get the call from the ref. The ref misheard it, and they lost the game. And I don't know how that impacted their season, and I don't really care. But um, <clears throat> John is going to do an expose on all these evil powers, because it's important to understand the symbols behind them. It's important to understand, you know, and my heads or tails on this as it gets flipped. So we're going to jump right in. If we don't understand what we're up against, the course of action is going to be misguided. Yeah. Okay? So, Revelation chapter 12. Are you guys ready? Yes. <laughs> Here we go. I know you're all wondering, who's the, number, who's the beast? Uh, 
Tom Brady. <laughs> <laughs> Revelation chapter 12. It says, Then I witnessed in heaven an event of great significance. I saw a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon beneath her feet, and a crown of twelve stars on her head. She was pregnant, and she cried out because of her labor pains and the agony of giving birth. Verse 3, Then I witnessed in heaven another significant event. I saw a large red dragon with seven heads, ten horns, with seven crowns on his heads, his tail swept away one-third of the stars in the sky, and he threw them to the earth. He stood in front of the woman and was about to, uh, who was about to give birth, ready to devour her baby as soon as it was born. Verse 5, she gave birth to a son who was to rule all nations in a rod, with an iron rod, and her child was snatched away from the dragon, and there was caught up to God and to his throne. And the woman fled into the wilderness where God had prepared a place to care for her for 1,260 days. So we have a woman, a dragon, and a child. So what's going on here? Now, the woman, now, this is, Revelation is like a dream, and we've talked about that. You're in a dream, and you're in your home, but it doesn't really look like your home, but you really know that it's your home, and there's, there's multiple layers to these, these images. The woman, I mean, who would we think off the... Mary. Mary. Okay, so Mary, Eve. Okay, but what's interesting is the, the mother gives birth to a son, and the son uh, is Jesus, okay? Uh, but Mary here, or the, not Mary, but the woman here, is more likely um, faithful Israel and the church. Now, Israel is spoken of as the bride of Christ, and when we talk about Israel, you can remember some of the prophets and an unfaithful Israelite time with kings that were corrupt. Um, but there, there's mention in the Bible where there's always this remnant of faithful people that are following God. I think of Elijah. We read this passage the other day where he's all in a grumpy mood and he's hiding out in, on, the, on the mountain and he's like, I'm the only one that's really faithful. And God's like, mm, no, sorry, there's 700 you don't even know about. Um, that's this faithful Israel. And when uh, we read the prophets, there's this sense, there's this idea that uh, faithful Israel will give birth to the Messiah, right? And so when we read about the woman, what we're reading about is the faithful people of God, which here uh, drifts into uh, the church, God's faithful people that are faithful to him, because it is that faithful remnant that gives birth to the Messiah, who is the child. And I saw a child um, in verse 5, gave birth to a son, to rule all nations with an iron rod. That's a quote from Psalm 22. Um, her child was snatched away from the dragon and was caught up with God and to his throne. That was pretty quick. That's the resurrection. That's the ascension. And it all happens right there. It's like, well, where did it all go? That was pretty quick. That was like half a sentence. Right? And that's really important because the focus is on not so much on Jesus' uh, resurrection and his crucifixion. It's on the church's response to trials. So you have this idea that this victory that has already happened with Jesus, they just mention it in half a sentence. Right? We're going to talk more about that. And then you have the serpent, the dragon. And it says right out there, the serpent, the dragon, the devil, all, this, you know, all these images that go along with that. And that is, um, so it's showing this cosmic battle. We're not getting any sense of what's happening on earth yet. 
which, what, what are the earthly powers, but they give us a picture of um, this cosmic spiritual battle going on. And we're reminded of what Paul says. We, we fight not against flesh and blood, but against uh, spiritual powers, principalities and powers. That's in uh, Ephesians 5, I think, or 6, right? Yeah. That's where our battle is. Then there was war in heaven. Okay, so now we have this war. Verse 7, there was a war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon and his angels. And the dragon lost the battle, and he and his angels were forced out of heaven. This great dragon, the ancient serpent called the devil or Satan, the one deceiving the whole world, was thrown down to the earth with all his angels. And then I heard a loud voice shouting across the heavens, it has come at last, salvation and power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ. For the accuser of our brothers and sisters has been thrown down to earth, the one who accuses them before our God day and night, and they have defeated him by the blood of the lamb and by their testimony. So the persecution here is against the church. The accuser's been cast down. He's the accuser of our brothers and sisters. This is referring to the church. Has been thrown down to earth, the one who accuses them before God day and night. And they, the church, the faithful people of God, have defeated him by the blood of the Lamb and by their testimony. And they did so, uh, and, that, and they did not love their lives so much as that they were afraid to die. The defeat comes from the church. Right? And we, we say this all the time. Like the victory was won. Mm -hmm. True. And Paul teaches us that Jesus is the first fruits of the creation. And yet here we have this, this passage that seems to indicate that, yeah, there's an initial victory that Jesus uh, does not go and raise a sword against his enemies. He loves them. Father, forgive them. They do not know what they are doing to the people who are nailing him to the cross. And the church follows in that example. So this initial victory over death has been won by Christ, the first fruits of I always, get, I always get the honey from Bill every year. He says, this is the first, my first fruits offering. And it's, it's awesome, honey, uh, from the bees. And uh, that's what would happen. You know, you give the first part of your crop, um, representing the, the first represents the whole. We're going to give all of our crop, um, but it, it's a representative offering. So the first fruits goes to the, uh, the, uh, yeah, goes to the temple, goes to the church, and Jesus is that first fruit. So now we, here we see that the, the church is now following in Christ's footstep and is defeating their enemies in the same way. Therefore, rejoice, O heavens, and you who live in the heavens rejoice. But terror will come on the earth and the sea, for the devil has come down to you in great anger, knowing that he has little time. And we wrap up this chapter. It says, When the dragon realized that he had been thrown down to the earth, he pursued the woman... This is persec this persecution of the church who had been given who had who had given birth to the male child, but she was given two wings like those of a great eagle, so she could fly to the place prepared for her in the wilderness. There she would be cared for and protected from the dragon for a time, times and half a time. 
Then the dragon tried to drown the woman with a flood of water that flowed from his mouth, but the earth helped her by opening its mouth and swallowing the river that gushed from the mouth of the dragon. This is building on some Exodus imagery and going through the ocean. And the dragon was very angry at the woman and declared war upon the rest of her children. All who, keeps God, all who keep God's commandments and maintain their testimony for Jesus. That's who God's children are in this. All those who keep God's commandments, here's one thing that's very plain and very straightforward, and maintain their testimony for Jesus. Then the dragon took a stand on the shore of the sea. So it shows us, so here's, here's what John is doing. He's saying, you're suffering, you're in trial, um, it's great pain and suffering, and, and the vision that we're getting is that there is a battle in heaven behind this. And that is so very important for us to remember because our battle is not against flesh and blood, which means you don't hurt them. That's not where we take our battle. We don't dig our heels in and hurt other people. The battle is a spiritual one. The call is to maintain faithfulness as Jesus did in the face, in the face of a bogus, uh, a bogus trial a rigged trial and injustice, he does not fight. In fact, here's this whole scene where his disciples want to fight. Let's take up the sword. Let's beat them. Let's take them. We can do it. You're God. That's a great temptation right there. You're God. We could do this. No. Let's live by the sword, die by the sword. That is not what God's kingdom looks like. And so this is so important because when we're struggling, when we're going through trials, we want to lash out. And the church wants to lash out. This is a spiritual thing. There's much more going on behind the scenes. And that's where our attention is. So he begins by saying that there is a cosmic battle going on. He sets the stage. And then he starts to narrow it down and get a bit more focused on this. And this is where I, I love this stuff. This gets fun. Oh, yeah. Then I saw a beast rising up out of the sea. It had seven heads, ten horns. Ten crowns on its horns, and written on each head were names that blasphemed God. This beast looked like a leopard, but it had the feet of a bear and the mouth of a lion. And the dragon gave the beast his own power and throne and great authority. Now the beast here, the combination of these beasts is drawing from the book of Daniel, where there's seven beasts, or there's four beasts that come out of the sea. And this is now like a super beast that has them all combined. But it's the beast out of the sea. So if you're in Turkey, if you're in Ephesus, the beast out of the sea is Rome. Oh. <laughs> it's Rome. That big long boot that sits out in the, in the ocean in the, in the capital there, that's the beast out of the sea. And as we see, it's going to be this war machine. And so now the, John is trying to um, add some substance to these images and he's saying, this is a beast. And this is so important because Rome is this, it's a superpower. This is the biggest empire that the world has seen at this point. And there's a lot of temptation to go along with the power and the glitz and the glamour and the money and all this stuff. And John is saying, it will devour you. Don't be deceived. Don't follow the beast. So it's cast in this ugly realm with a whole bunch of symbols that are grotesque. I saw 
that one of the heads of the beast seemed to be wounded beyond recovery. But the fatal wound was healed. And the whole world marveled at this miracle and gave allegiance to the beast. There's this horrible emperor named Nero who persecuted the church. And the things that he did were so grotesque, I don't even want to mention them here. They were, they were disgusting, the way, they were, the way Christians were tortured. He died. There was a period of uh, some anarchy, but it, it was mostly political, not really involving the church. The church had a little bit of a respite. And then there was another emperor named Domitian, who was horrible, just like Nero. And there's this rumor going around the empire that Nero had come back to life. He's back. Let me read that again. Uh, <clears throat> One of the heads of the beast, one of the emperors of the beast, seemed to be wounded beyond recovery, but the fatal wound was healed. The whole world marveled at this miracle and gave allegiance to the beast. There was a rumor that Nero had come back, but it was Domitian. So you have this idea of a resurrection, of this horrible person coming back. They worship the dragon for giving the beast such power, and they worship the beast. Who is as great as the beast, they exclaim. Who is able to fight against him? That's the question hanging over there. Who's able to fight this sort of monster? Then the beast was allowed to speak great blasphemies against God, and he was given authority to do whatever he wanted for 42 months, and he spoke horrible words of blasphemy against God, slandering the name of his dwelling, that is, those who dwell in heaven. Now, the dwelling is not the temple in Jerusalem. The dwelling, what is the temple? Jerusalem. The church. the church, the people of God, right? The foundation are the apostles. And then Jesus is the cornerstone, the foundation of the apostles. It, yeah, brick by brick. That's what uh, the church is imaged as a temple. And that's where God dwells, the temple, people of God, those who dwell in heaven. And the beast was allowed to wage war. This is a war machine. So we have this image of war and military against God's holy people and to conquer them. He was given great authority to rule over every tribe and people and language and nation and all the people who belong to this world worshipped the beast. This world is not so much, I don't think it means so much individuals, it's the systems and the, and the, the economic systems, the political systems, all those systems uh, are summed up in this term, the world. They are the ones whose names are not written in the book of life, who belong to the Lamb, who was slaughtered before the world was made. Anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. Anyone who is destined for prison will be taken to prison. Anyone destined to die by the sword will die by the sword. And I love it. Straightforward, very clear. No images here. This means that God's holy people must endure persecution patiently and remain faithful. Okay. Yeah, it's tough. It's a tough message. I know, it's not So, <clears throat> then I saw another beast come up out of the earth. First one was Rome out of the sea. He had two horns like those of a lamb, but he spoke with the voice of a dragon. He exercised all the authority of the first beast. He required that all the earth and its people to worship the first beast, whose fatal wound had been healed. He did astounding miracles even making fire flash down to earth from the sky while everyone was watching. And with all the miracles he was allowed to perform on behalf of the first beast, he deceived all the people who belonged to this world. He ordered the people to make great statue of the first beast, and he was fatally wounded and came back to life. 
he was then permitted to give life to the statue so that he so they could speak. And then the statue of the beast commanded that everyone refusing to worship must die. What this is picturing is that Rome would have, it was such a big empire, they would have local outposts where you got to set up emperor worship and statues in the local um, municipalities where people would come to worship. So the second beast out of the earth, which is more local, are the local manifestations of the emperor cult that are forcing people to worship. He required everyone, small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to be given a mark on the right hand or on the forehead. This is a parody, a mockery of the Shema, right? This is the central prayer in Judaism. Hear, O Lord, the Lord our God, he is one. We shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and all your might. This is a prayer of commitment. This is a prayer of discipleship. We're going to do this. We're going to dedicate our thoughts and our actions. We're committing to God. That's what that prayer is all about. And what uh, Israelites would do is they create these little wooden boxes. They'd roll up that prayer and they'd put it on their right hand and they'd put it on their forehead as a symbol that they would remember with all their thoughts and with their actions that they are dedicated to God. So this mark on the hand and the forehead in this world, in this image, is the world, it's, it's a mockery, it's a parody of that same commitment. And he's saying, don't give into it. Don't give into it. It's like an anti-Shema, <laughs> right? And no one could buy or sell anything without the mark. So now we see an economic machine, which is unjust, unjust. They're pressuring people with economics. And I've said this before. You know, Tim, we have Tim that he has uh, Kennebec Builders. And if he's a Christian and he's got to go buy wood, he's got to offer incense to the god of ham and lumber to buy lumber there. And if he's thinking, you know, I'll be personal, I can't do that. I'm, I got to remain faithful to Christ. I can't worship the emperor. I can't worship the god of ham and lumber. I got to go somewhere else. He goes to Hancock Lumber. And they're offering, they're saying, you gotta, you know, you gotta offer some meat, you gotta worship. How does he make a living? How does he do it? And the message here is remain faithful. And it's very clear, some are gonna go to prison, some are gonna lose their lives. It's a tough message. Right? This is a message to the churches in, in Asia. Yeah. They're under great persecution. And here we have an economic pressure. We saw the war machine. Now it's the economic machine, which is oppressing people. There was either, um, and no one could buy or sell anything without the mark, which was either the name of the beast or the number representing his name. Wisdom is needed here. Let the one who, un who with understanding solve the meaning of the number of the beast, for the number is a number of a man. His number is 666. John loves sevens. Sevens is like this perfection, seven days of creation. So six is just, it's a parody. It's not God. It's less than God. Also, in the Hebrew alphabet, you use Hebrew numbers, Hebrew letters as numbers. And if the number spells out uh, like Nero, beast. Um, I don't know which, if it's just, I think it's probably just more simple, imperfect number. And so... The, the point is, here's what's really going on in your local area and around the world, world events, 
Do not be deceived by this. It's a parody. Now, I come to this. I think I, I, I do this little thing every summer. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep doing it every summer until we get, we get the, the, the answer right. What is Jaws about? <laughs> Giant shark terrorizes a community, etc., etc. Right. Giant shark terrorizes a community. And unfortunately, it's not. That's not what it is. <laughs> it's close, though. That's the way it's pictured. Conquering your fear. Here's, here's what Jaws is about. It's about economics put before the well-being of people. Yeah, you do say that a lot. Man. Yeah. That's what it is. You have Sheriff Brody. He has a past. We don't know what it is. He showed up on Amity. He's taking this job to kind of get away from his past. And he's trying to help people. And the powers that be who want to make money on 4th of July weekend put people at risk. The shark is just a manifestation of the evil that's deeper behind it. That's what makes it a good movie. Any movie about a shark that's purely about a shark isn't a good movie. It's not that interesting. You've got to have something behind it. Kids on bikes, saving the world, stranger things. Is it about the underneath? Or is it really about all the struggles of growing up that these kids are going through? That's the real monster in the movie. It's manifest with this underneath. Same with, uh, this is a bit darker, but uh, it, same thing. Kids solving problems. Saving the world from a deranged clown. It's not about the clown. It's about the abuse that these kids go through. It's about being bullied in school. It's about being an outsider. It's about growing up in a dysfunctional family. They all have issues. Why does Elliot need E.T. to get home? Is it about E.T. getting home? What's the answer? <laughs> no. Why does he need E.T. to get home? Beat the government. <laughs> His parents are going through a divorce. When you watch E.T., you don't see the face of adults. Except for his mother, who's on his side, and maybe a guy that shows up later on to help them out. But when the government rushes in, and they're setting up the camp at the house, and they're doing the HVAC, you never see their faces. They're rushing around. There's lots of adults, but you never see their faces. They're dehumanized. Elliot's struggling with the fact that his parents are going through a divorce. That's why he cares so badly about E.T. getting home. And that's what makes a good movie. There's, re there's a reality going on here. And John understands, and, and the Bible writers, they know how to, the authors know how to communicate this in very powerful terms. That what's behind all this is dangerous. Don't be deceived. And what's behind it is very regular, average stuff, like a divorce or stand by me, the kids trying to find the missing kid. It's not about finding the missing kid. It's about them coming to terms with things in their own life. That's what makes that movie good. Another Stephen King movie. So the question, and I, you know, quite frankly, here's where it gets interesting with the 4th of July tomorrow, is that what, what would the beast be for America? What, what's, what, what, I mean, what kind, of, what kind of images do we have? What kind of images do we have? American flag. 
All right. What does a flag represent? No, I mean, what is it? What's blue? Oh, the sea, the shining sea, maybe. I don't know. The ocean. Fifty stars. Fifty states. But what else? Eagle. It's a powerful image. Eagle. Explosions in the sky. I was talking to my family the other day, just saying that it's like the quintessential American holiday. Grill stuff. Blow stuff up. Blow stuff up, yeah. Hey, we used to have the cadence of the army. The army colors, the colors of red, the army colors, the colors of white, the army colors, the colors of red, the army, the colors of white, the colors of red because of the blood we shed, the army, the colors of white were fit to fight, the colors of blue because we tried the troops. So. Right. So those are all great images. What, what is the image if you're Native American? Oppression. African-American. And so there's a call here. I mean, there's a beast. And the call is not to be deceived by what we see. That we remain faithful. Where is this shirt made? I don't know. To be honest, I don't know. I don't know who made it. I don't know if kids made it. Um, the Industrial Revolution. Uh, I remember uh, one, a great uh, Reinhold Niebuhr, uh, a theologian, and he went up against all these auto manufacturers for the conditions of working in Detroit, and it was horrible. Mm -hmm. It was absolutely horrible. How do you picture that? We see it a lot in political cartoons, and. If it's a political cartoon that supports our side, we're happy with it. <laughs> but we're not. But again, remember, our fight is not against flesh and blood. We don't call people out on the internet. That doesn't help. No. That's not where our fight is. No. But it calls us to watchfulness, to be careful, to be informed, to understand, and not to give in. And I know I have a long way to go because I don't know where my shirt was made. I don't know where my socks were made. And I don't know what the conditions of those places. But not everything that looks good is out for your well-being. Amen. Yeah. And that's part of the expose of the powers that be, right? Dan, didn't you say that the 666 is Nero? In the Roman alphabet? Yeah. Well, it can be. Beast. Yeah. He just, he said, he just that beast. Nero, beast. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> so there's a call here for us, right? Take very seriously. We're not being persecuted. And sometimes we can be lulled to sleep easier without that persecution, without that push. That life is good. Um, we got our hamburgers and hot dogs and the grill. We got a, you know, a propane tank that's full and it's all good to go. But it's not all good to go. We are called um, to see and hear and to remain faithful um, in light of the empires, uh, all that it uses to, to woo us. So as we take communion, I want us to remember, it's a great reminder every time we take it, that uh, Jesus shows us the way 
in communion. He gives. He gives himself to us. And we consume that. And then we go and live it out as well. The reading from the Gospel of Luke uh, today, as we get ready for uh, communion, it really talks about those who uh, aren't open to the Gospel. It says, now, the Lord now chose 72 other disciples and sent them ahead in pairs to all the towns and places he planned to visit. These were his instructions to them. The harvest is great, but the workers are few. So pray to the Lord who was in charge of the harvest, who is in charge of the harvest. Ask him to send more workers into his field. Now go and remember that I am sending you as lambs among wolves. Don't take any money with you, nor a traveler's bag, nor an extra pair of sandals. And don't stop to greet anyone on the road. Whenever you enter someone's home, first say, may God's peace be on this house. If those who live there are peaceful, the blessing will stand. And if they are not, the blessing will return to you. Don't move around from home to home. Stay in one place, eating and drinking what they provide. Don't hesitate to accept hospitality because those who work deserve their pay. If you enter a town and it welcomes you, eat whatever is set before you. Heal the sick and tell them the kingdom of God is near to you. The kingdom of God is near to you now. But if a town refuses to welcome you, go out into its streets and say, we wipe even the dust of your town from our feet and show that we have abandoned you to your fate. And know this, the kingdom of God is near. So as we take communion, uh, we remember Christ's sacrifice to us. And um, it's an image of a way of life and a way that we live when times are easy and when times are hard. Let's uh, pray. God, we thank you for your word. It's hard. It's hard sometimes. Uh, give us eyes to see and ears to hear, as we read from Revelation today, um, to understand and to see, um, to um, have some discernment um, on what is of you and what is not of you. Um, and give us the strength as you did in the upper room and the events that followed and the hours that followed that event uh, to love uh, even our enemies, to pray for those who persecute us and to love always all the people that we meet. We ask in Jesus' name.